This week on Refried Reviews, we see Tom Hardy behind the wheel in, no, probably not the one you're thinking of. Fried reviews. I'm John. I'm JP. And uh, yeah, what'd you make me watch, man? <laughs> uh, this was sort of a little scene uh, British movie that is made by Stephen Knight. He's the writer and director. Yeah. Which, if you've ever heard of uh, Peaky Blinders on Netflix, I think that's probably his most famous thing right now. It's the Peaky Blinders guy. Um, by the <laughs> way, quick production note, guys. Uh, my dog's in here with us. Um, so if you hear some growling, some playing with toys, that, that's what that is. We don't, we don't like have a hostage. Or do we? <laughs> it's Foley. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, go on. Uh, yeah, so I guess sort of the, the big hook and the reason why people would bring this up is because really it could be a radio drama or yeah. it could be a play because uh, Tom Tom Hardy is the only on-screen actor. Yep. And it takes place over the course of 36 calls, 85 minutes while he's driving on the freeway. Yeah. Um, or whatever they call that in England. Yes. Um, was it the M6? I think it is the M6. Yeah, he's going from somewhere to London. Uh-huh. Um, there's other towns in England. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's he's headed to London for reasons that aren't clear immediately. Um, and I guess to be upfront, guys, there's not a, like, plot-wise, there's not a lot to this movie. This is, like, we talked about American Graffiti not really lending itself to our normal <laughs> format. Like, if we went with the plot, like summary we'd be done very quickly yeah um so we'll 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 probably just sort of skate through that and then i'd like to talk just about uh sort of the the touches like the things the the things that kind of come out on a second viewing the the why of why this movie works as well as it does because it works it works yeah and i've i've seen this uh a few times and part of the reason that i brought it up is because i've been trying to get more people to watch it so how'd you find this fucking thing um I think a friend recommended it to me, and I had seen Peaky Blinders. Gotcha. So I think sort of the recommendation... Peaky Blinders good? Uh, I mean, I whipped through the first two seasons pretty quickly. Oh, And right. Tom Hardy's in season two, and Oh, awesome. really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's definitely worth Does he worth fight watching. Killian Murphy in the streets? Uh, they definitely have words, and he's he's crazy eyes, Tom Hardy. Like, uh, as as usual, not the guy you want to cross, sort yeah. of, of the cast. Speaking of crazy eyes, Tom Hardy, he's so not that here. Yeah. Because um, when you told me about this movie, I, this is another one of those movies, uh, JP kind of fountained me on this one. Um, <laughs> I had never seen this, so I watched this twice in the last two weeks, um, about seven days apart. And when I first heard the premise, I was like, oh, it's Tom Hardy. He's in a car. He's, you're probably thinking the same thing right now, guys, uh, if you haven't seen Locke. Um, and if you have, turn this off and go watch it because it's real good. Um, <laughs> There's a hostage involved or something. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Was like, oh, he's probably in the mob and like a job d- went bad and he's like going to his boss's office and like. My thinking was, okay, he's a mob enforcer who found out that some deal went went bad, and he's driving to like the Don or the boss's office, and he's probably going to get shot when he gets there, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did imagine much more like screaming at people and punching the steering wheel and things yeah, like that, which he does like once. <laughs> One, like he punches the steering wheel two times in rapid succession in the entire movie. Uh, there are two punches about a second apart, and that's it. The rest of the time, he's pretty <laughs> controlled, and that's a big part of Locke's character because this is definitely character driven. Um, yeah, no mob shit in this movie. Um, why? Why is he driving, man? 
Uh, well, it's revealed fairly quickly. It, it is true that you don't have all the details when he starts off on the trip, but yeah. it also doesn't hold back on plot. It's maybe by 10 minutes in, yeah. you have sort of a pretty good idea of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is, uh, so Tom Hardy is Ivan Locke. Yeah. who is uh, a concrete supervisor, a construction supervisor. Yeah, he pours foundations for skyscrapers. Yeah, and uh, the next day, uh, of course, the, the movie is real time. It takes place over uh, an 85-minute drive. Yeah, starting at about like 9 p.m. Yeah, so um, the next day is sort of the biggest day of Ivan Locke's career as they're pouring the, the biggest foundation in Europe. It is uh, Outside of nuclear or military installations, yes. <laughs> 355 metric tons, 218 trucks of C6 concrete. Yes. <laughs> None of that C5 shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really interesting character study for a few reasons, but uh, they do have fun with sort of the, the male phallus. Like, he craves displacing that much air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't think about the, the building as his dick until just now, but yeah, it is kind of his dick. It's like, I'll squeeze the water table. Like, he has fun with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, it's, I mean, by the end, I think you get the pretty clear picture that, like, the building and the concrete are the only things this guy really loves. Mm -hmm. And he kind of thinks of his whole life in terms of it. Mm -hmm. He might love his kids, too. Um, well, I mean, we, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into it down the road, but yeah, I think there are big things of like, he's trying to make sure the foundation is just perfect yeah. and him trying to ensure that the first night of his illegitimate child's night goes okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like sort of that the first days are the most important in how it's going to hold up. That seems yeah. to uh, register with him in a lot of ways. Yeah. I hadn't really made like the first days connection. Um, you're right about that. I, I, uh, it's a big thing for him because as he's driving, he'll periodically look behind him and talk to the empty back seat where his dead, where he imagines his deadbeat dad sitting. Uh -huh. Um, and like the, the the two tensions of this movie, I think, are uh, well, there's so much wrapped up in it. But like the, one of the big themes is definitely like I don't want to be like my dad, um, and I'm gonna be different from you because you like gave up. And it seems like it's really important to him. Like, one of the really interesting things about the movie, because the reason he's driving to London is he, uh, nine months before, got a woman pregnant who was not his wife. Well, seven months before. Seven months this before. This is a surprise. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's two months early. And seven months before, he got a woman pregnant who was not his wife. and um, Which he pretty convincingly maintains was, you know, the only time, and he's normally the most level-headed guy you'll ever meet. And, like, other people keep talking about how solid he is and everything. And it's... it's uh, I mean, I believe him. Um, I think the movie makes a good case for it. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it's. I was actually reading in the production notes that... Uh, so the way they filmed this is really interesting. Uh, they filmed it in six days in, in uh, two continuous uh, takes a day mm -hmm. or a night, um, just driving with that car on the back of a flatbed, mm -hmm. um, this BMW SUV that J Ivan's driving. And um, meanwhile... I'm glad he wasn't really like chugging cough medicine and blowing his nose and stuff while driving. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and also that, that cold, he has a cold in the movie and it's only there because just uh, fucking Tom Hardy showed up to set with a cold. Nice. Yeah, and they just were like, oh, okay, you have a cold now. Um, I mean, in a movie with one actor and one set, I thought it was in a way to keep it visually interesting. It definitely like helped just pile shit onto this poor guy. <laughs> um, and uh, the rest of the actors were in a hotel room a few miles from where they were driving, mm -hmm. um, just calling in in real time. So instead of having like his lines fed to him, 
um, all of that was happening. Uh, I don't know exactly how they were capturing the sound from the phone because it mm-hmm. all sounds really crisp. Maybe he had an earwig and they were recording nicely or something. Yeah, something like that. Or uh, or they were just calling in and they figure they found the speaker where the phone voice came out and just mic'd it. Yeah. Um, you know, you could end up with some good sound that way. Um, but yeah, it's it's all in real time, so he was able to actually play off the actors. But um, the, the woman who plays Katrina was actually directed to kind of play the later parts after she finds out uh, because he he tells her finally when he's like I'm not going to be home for the soccer match um, that we were all going to watch as a family because I got to go to London to this hospital because I knocked up a chick and um, just the saddest most pathetic sounding woman in in the world yeah Um, and uh, I got to go be there because uh, it's my fault he won't he can't even bring him to say son or child Mm -hmm. he keeps saying fault yeah um like i this is a mistake i have to fix or my fuck up yeah if talking to his dad (laughs) yeah um and like it's a it's again a recurring theme that like the way he treats everything in his life is the way an engineer treats it Mm -hmm. um that like i can come up with a plan and i can move these pieces around and he doesn't really respect anyone else's agency he doesn't really care for anyone else's feelings he just needs them to do as they're told so that he can preserve his status quo mm-hmm. um and the reason i think it's so important to him to preserve his status quo is so he cannot be his dad um and that's like so fucking interesting to me because it seems like i I might be reading too much into the psychology of this character and stop me if you disagree, but mm-hmm. my feeling is that so much of his life has built on the idea of, has been built on the idea of I'm not my dad. I pulled our family name out of the gutter um, and I'm making us something better. And so now he's being confronted with the fact that he's made a mistake on the order of the kind that his, that he's villainized his dad for making his whole life. And so if he doesn't move these chess pieces around and engineer a situation where everything's fine, then he has to face the f- idea that he's just like his dad. And that's terrifying to him, not because it means he's a dick, because it means that maybe his dad was just a guy. Well, it seemed to me kind And I of... think, I feel like John Locke just needs a villain. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, it's Ivan Locke. John I Locke mean, is another guy. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's. I actually read in the production notes that Ivan is Russian for John. Oh, really? And he might... Oh, like, that's funny. Yeah, so he, there, there's there's a lot of like homage to the philosopher John Locke, and I don't know exactly how to unpack that. Um, maybe we'll get there towards the end of this. I'll, I'll let that percolate. But yeah, I mean, what do you think of that like psychoanalysis of the guy? Does that ring true for you? Uh, I mean, first of all, just looking at this movie as a whole, I, I think it's you can't psychoanalyze it too much. I mean, its whole point is that we're staring at this one guy deal with this crazy night. Like, I, I think know. it's built I, to be deconstructed to a degree. <laughs> I think I think they want us... I mean, I think that Tom Hardy gives us a lot in his performance mm-hmm. of, like, why this hurts this guy and, like, why he's in so much pain at this and, like, the relief we see whenever, like, things look like they're going to work out. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the final moment of the movie when uh, he finds out that his wife is definitely leaving... You just feel everything come crashing down on him. And he almost achieves a sort of peace in that last phone call with his boss, Gareth, mm-hmm. um, when he says, you know, hear this. Um, when I started this drive, I had a job, I had a wife, and I had a home. Now I don't have any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's he's trying so hard to hold his life together um, the way, you know, an engineer would. Because I... I, I stand by it. I think he's trying really hard to hold his life together like an engineer would because he doesn't want to be his father. Because if he turns out that he's his father, then it turns out that all the hate he's held in his heart for so long was misplaced and he can't deal with that. 
Yeah, and I think... And also he wants to preserve his marriage for obvious reasons. Well, he he's tied a lot of sort of pulling the lock name, you know, out of the mud. Yeah. He has tied up a lot of himself. That's in, why he's so fucking uptight. Yeah, you know? but, but he's tied it into legacy. Yeah. Which, you know... The, the building. Yeah, which has clearly been a useful tool to him and helped him be successful, but it also means that his entire downfall could be something like this. Yeah. Where, like, something that would be a big mark on his name and his life yeah. kind of falls apart. Yeah, I mean, he's so he's wound so tight that you definitely get the feeling that this guy is not very good at forgiving himself, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, like, definitely not that good at directly dealing with the consequences of his actions. Well, I really like when it comes time to ask to come home and like you know to just basically ask for forgiveness which he's really not very good at nope <laughs> he, he wants to know a practical next step yeah that's yeah because he's an engineer <laughs> yeah like, he's he, he doesn't think of anybody as like i mean he, he definitely when he's explaining it to his wife he's 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 not being quite weaselly like he's he's taking responsibility, but he's also dodging in a way that's very believable. Well, I think part of what makes it so compelling is he is so rigid and is yeah. is kind of like it, it should work like this because I run a tight ship. Yeah, I make sure that it all works out. And that guy having to do his attempt to suck it up and just sort of. Like, I know I fucked up, but let me come home. Like, yeah. I know I, I accept no errors from anyone, Yeah. but just let me this once. Yeah, well, it's it's how he keeps characterizing it. He never says, like, I failed, or I... He never says to anyone else, I fucked up so bad. Um, I'm, I don't even know if he actually ever says, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I think it, it, he definitely avoids it. Yeah, what he it's, says is... I've made is, my decision and what, what things he, like that. What he says is, I've behaved in a way that's not like me, or I've been not like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, because everybody else seems to agree, but like... So he's already built his legacy, and yeah. the fact that he's still alive is is inconsequential. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually kind of interesting. I mean, all he had to do was just sort of stick with it, but like, a guy can't wind himself that tight without like cracks showing up. Because mm-hmm. he, he's got a little bit of C5 in his concrete. <laughs> um, so I guess, can you give us just a real quick just rundown of the beats? Just I, mean, I know we've kind of talked about his character a whole lot, but just to kind of place everything in context. So uh, sort of where where the major puzzle pieces lie yeah. are um, he's on the phone with Donnell, who is sort of an assistant, who yeah. might be like an overachiever, who he's the closest with maybe. Who might be a little drunk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cider. Yeah. How manly. Yeah. Well, and, and it's it's way, way more like gender neutral to drink cider in Britain. Yeah, yeah, there. yeah. But, you know, because uh, still. Um, it, it rings differently in our ears. <laughs> it definitely does, yeah. yeah. It's, but he's not like chugging Mike's hard lemonade. No, so. <laughs> I, I realize, I realize. <laughs> um, and so he's on the phone with him and explaining... Uh, you know, you're not ready for this at all, but you're going to have to do my job yeah. for the next 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make sure that this, you know, biggest pour that's ever happened, blah, yep. blah, blah, goes off without a hitch. Mm-hmm. And you're in charge now. Yeah. Uh, so he's on the phone with him. That's one of the main recurring calls. Yeah. There's uh, Gareth, his boss, who comes up as Bastard yeah. on the caller ID, which is pretty amusing. Yeah, which is weird to me because it doesn't seem like they have that bad of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Gareth does not. Gareth at no point seems unreasonable. Like, yeah. he clearly doesn't want to fire Ivan. <laughs> I almost said John again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, he obviously has to, the guys. Uh, and I love that he, like, if Ivan had just said, I'm sick, he could have gotten away with the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to be his dad. 
He's going to own up to it. Yeah. He's made his decision. He's a rule follower. <laughs> yeah. But it's such a like a shallow kind of responsibility that he's taking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, Well, that that is one of the notes that I wrote down throughout is sort of, after having watched this a few times where like initially you're learning the plot and about concrete and stuff, and then it extrapolates a little bit and it's more about the pathos of this guy and yeah. all these pieces moving around. And I feel like as I've watched times beyond that, it moves more even into plot mechanics. Yeah. And um, uh, that the idea that there is a right thing to do in a given situation is childish in a lot of ways. Like, there are too many variables to any real-life situation for it to be as simple as a movie plot. Yeah. Of clearly you should do A, and that has no bad consequences, and you're just, you know, you're bad if you don't. There there are very few. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of, like, by the end of the movie, it's a bit heartbreaking, but there is no other perspective, necessarily, that I can think of, of, like, yeah, he could have done this, but, you know, that woman does sound desperate and sad, and the idea of him not going to her side would be, you know, would be really rough in that regard. He is doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like, for, I mean, he might be doing it for bad reasons based on his own, like, daddy issues, Mm -hmm. but it is the right thing to do. If you you get a woman pregnant and she's giving birth to your child, you should make an effort to be there. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a controversial stance (laughs) to take. Um, But yeah, so you got Gareth, you got Donal, and then... uh, Uh, The Bethan is uh, the woman he's knocked up who's in the hospital... And yeah, she, you know, Just has searing pain. Who ever existed. She's had searing pain like she's never had, but it doesn't seem it occurred to her to ask the nurses for help about it. Yeah. And so it, it does seem like she's a little bit out of it or at least sort of not socialized enough to the point that she can get by in a situation like this. That is a very good way to put it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was going to go with uh, not all there, but uh, right? not, she's just, she doesn't seem effectively socialized. Yeah. Um, and this poor, like, poor, poor Ivan Locke is now responsible for this. Um, <laughs> yeah. And clearly doesn't want it. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of uncomfortable stuff in this movie of like yeah. conversations with his kids and things. Oh. But some of the roughest are her repeatedly saying that she loves him. Yeah. And him going, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that. I, I don't even know you, yeah. but I can be there as soon as possible. I, I think uh, I think the first time it happens, it was like, um, it's was it? How could I say that or something like that? Oh yeah, how could I say that? Uh, do you love me? And then there's a few lines, and then how could I love you? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's how to calm someone. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not good. Um, but also like he's he's you know he's lawful good. He's not gonna lie. <laughs> um, he's not gonna tell this woman a comforting falsehood. Um, which I get, like, I mean, if someone I didn't love was asking me to say I love them, I think I'd probably try to avoid it as much as that. You don't want, you don't want to open that can of worms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is, is sort of another movie trope thing of a lot of times our heroes are given convenient choices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, he doesn't have any. So, <laughs> so then there's, uh, the, what I think is the worst conversation <laughs> I don't of think all. he's a hero just to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's not a bad guy. You know, it's it's like that line from the Royal Tenenbaums. He's not an asshole. He's just kind of a son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I you agree know? with that. Like, he's not a bad guy. He made a bad mistake, um, and that's awful. Um, and he is, in his own really flawed way, trying to take responsibility for it. And he's just a limited guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's not he's not running. 
Um, like he he could have cut this woman off completely and left her to deal with it and um like just sort of sent some money or something mm-hmm. and like he could have kept his life but like he's trying to do he's trying to do the right thing for again bad daddy issue related reasons <laughs> um and like that's kind of noble but he's also a little broken um and a really limited dude so he can only see it in terms of you know if i just check all these check marks tonight um, and that's like the, the the cool another cool thing about this 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 movie. Before we get to the worst phone conversation of all of them, <laughs> um, is like it really does capture that um, moment right after something goes really wrong. Because I'm sure everybody listening, like if you're if you're over 20, um, then you've probably <laughs> had something go horribly wrong on you, and you've also probably had to like stew in it and before like the wave hits you. You know, like, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's, uh, a really bad professional fuck up or like a really bad relationship fuck up or just, um, you know, the, the death of a family member hitting you, like there is always the first initial notification, which is like the water coming off the beach before the (laughs) tsunami hits. Uh And then there's the wave and then you can kind of start putting the pieces back together. And this movie is about living in the moment before the wave hits, um, and trying desperately to like give yourself some agency and give yourself, and that's the irony is like he's looking for a way to control his situation, but he he won't let anybody else have control over their situation. Mm-hmm. He gives Donald orders. He never later when Donald finds the phone number of the councilman that he needs to call to confirm a traffic closure, um, like Donald takes some initiative and is obviously very proud of himself, mm-hmm. but he doesn't say thank you or good job or anything. <laughs> he says okay, give me the number. Uh huh. Like. Because <laughs> Donald's just a cog in a machine to him, and he just needs to fucking get him to do... He needs to stay on his square on the chessboard. Yeah, even after he's been fired. Yeah. He just keeps going. Yeah, because it's, it's, he needs to be in control of something. And I... I My very, skyscraper. Yeah, even though he's just pouring the foundation. I mean, not to take <laughs> anything away from that. That's a big deal. But, like, you didn't design it. Like, I mean, maybe he did, but I don't think he did. Um, yeah, my building. Um, but I don't know that people designing buildings go home every day and leave uh, footprints of concrete on the ground. What a great fucking metaphor. <laughs> I have to chip your footprints off the kitchen floor. Yeah, really? Yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, do you know, like, that, that moment in life that I mean? Like, oh, absolutely. Just try, scrambling for some kind of, like, control. I mean, I think even, like, getting in trouble at school or something. And oh, then yeah. waiting for the meeting about it. Like, I think it's something that scales up. Yeah. You know, with life that yeah. I'm sure everyone is familiar with. This is just a particularly sad and also very well-constructed version of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that brings Comes us... Comes to a head real good. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, le- that brings us to the last conversation, um, <laughs> the, the, the the best one. Uh, tell us about Katrina. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> she, so, she's wearing the shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he's basically missing... What sounds like a long-planned family night and probably a long-delayed family night. Yeah. From the just sort of, it's it sounds like there's a lot of, you said you could make it home this time. Yeah. To the call. Yeah. And uh, he goes between both kids and the wife at different times. Yeah. One of the kids is played by the new Spider-Man. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. I, I think it's Sean. Huh. Yeah. Was Sean the younger one? Sean's the older one. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
I forget which one says the whole thing about Caldwell and the goal at the end that breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, remember that? The part where you cried? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I want to say it's the younger one, but uh, I, okay. I, I clearly... think that is the younger one because he talks to the older one beforehand, and the older one's like, it doesn't sound like you're ever coming home. Yeah, um, I, I think the younger one was like calling him under the covers or whatever it was. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and the cycle continues. Well, I mean, they're a little developed. He's done with their foundation, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I mean, it's yeah, the younger one sounds like 11 or so, so, you know, he, he might bounce back from this. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, he's talking to these kids. Yeah, I mean, just admitting it to his family in general is pretty rough. There's just the, the very real life and not movie-esque just trying to coax her into a private area on the phone. Yeah, and just like you know, and the and the kid having to pick up and okay, get off the phone, get off the phone. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a nerve wracking experience, and um, there are a lot of sharp hang ups in this, which you know <laughs> lends to the flow of it. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of hang ups from her when she finds out sort of vital pieces or when he says the wrong thing often, yeah, which is his way. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, real quick, we were sort of talking about whether he's viewed as a positive character in the movie in the movie and i think it's fairly well balanced yeah uh, i thought the score did a really good job yeah like it felt largely sad with a little like triumphant note in there somewhere yeah i liked him more the first time than the second time mm-hmm. um it definitely like i think i w- the second time i was more able to concentrate on his psychology and then see like oh this guy's kind of a shithead like <laughs> granted he's in scramble mode but sure. like he is a little bit like he doesn't think of anybody but himself he's a really selfish guy is just kind of what it comes down to and i'm i'm glad the movie doesn't underscore that yeah. he's awful or that he's great yeah, like that's yeah. why i'm glad it was sort of a middle of the road treatment yeah, of definitely. just like scoring up their dramatic moments without this is the swell where you feel terrible for him yeah like there's that moment later where um where Donald checks the rebar and finds out that it's fucked up and he has to go run to find some <laughs> Hungarians working on a street crew down the street and grab them, pay them 600 bucks each to come fix the rebar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like when that's the moment when it seems like, I mean, the movie seems to be telling us after that, that of all the challenges they've had with the poor, now the poor is going to go good. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's good, probably going to be more stuff coming up, but like that, that kind of takes that problem off the table at that point. Um, and that's the closest we get to like a yay moment. And the movie could have mishandled it. The movie could have given, you know, underscored that way more. And I think it's to its credit that it didn't at all. Well, like working as a programmer, I can say there is a lot of like, I've done as well as I can for now, but truly knowing that there isn't, there isn't really an endpoint where there's no chance that another bug could show up or something. Yeah. So sort of I the mean, metaphor. It's not over until the shit's poured. Yeah. So the metaphor for building the building or uh, or raising his kids, like you yeah. can always find out something went wrong with your structure after the fact. Yeah. And so I, I do think when it, it's in its early twenties and develops a coke <laughs> habit, <laughs> is on the pole. Yeah. Uh, and I think it it does a good job of of as you say presenting like. This isn't necessarily a happy ending, but he's sort of done what he can. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially, you know, that towards the end. So the Katrina conversation, he uh, finally gets her upstairs and then explains it. And then she spends like 45 minutes in the bathroom. Yeah. And then the kids get progressively more worried. 
um, because <laughs> I don't think she ever did make those sausages. Because uh, <laughs> uh, she didn't see the amazing goal. <laughs> no, she didn't see the, the amazing goal with Caldwell because he's usually a donkey, but he managed to control it and keep it on the ground. Um yeah, and then finally she comes out and says, you know, I talked to my sister and my half-sister. I made my decision. And this is great because it's right after he fixes the building. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, look, you can fix it all, can't you? <laughs> and then someone comes back and is like, actually, I have free will. And I decided that, no, you can't. Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to go get a drink and come up with a practical solution. You're done. You don't have a family anymore. Yeah, I um, think uh, one of my favorite moments just in the conversation between them is the uh, the phone number. Yeah. Of... um. Yeah, he needs a phone oh, number. Yeah. He asks one of the sons to just get it for him. Yeah. And then she finds the son like rummaging through his pockets and calls and is like, seriously, you're you're dealing with a work thing in the middle of this while I'm yeah. destroyed? And uh, let's see, where is it? Um, he says, I'm falling apart at home and you're closing roads. And his response, it's not a closure. It's a stop and go. Yeah. Before yeah. it continues. <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, he's he's a particular bastard, but I had to chuckle a little bit. Like, that that seems like a major dude thing. <laughs> yeah. I. It's funny because I, I didn't really ding him for that. <laughs> I was like, he's see, I mean, it doesn't seem like any of this is taking away from his ability to deal with his other problems. <laughs> like, he's not like, I mean, he's not less effective at dealing with his family. Like... What, what, what does she want from him? Just, like, fret in the car the whole time? Like, that's not going to accomplish anything. He may as well, like, get this building built, too. Um, so that's how I'm broken. Uh, uh, but just that, like, there's there's a time to bring that up. Yeah. Like, and the distinction that, like, what difference does it make if she knows whether it's a closure or a stop and go? Oh, yeah, no, that part's dumb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a bad move. Um, I'm just saying, like, hey, you know, if, if you can make sure the building's going to go fine, you're, I mean, you're on the road 90 minutes, you may as well get some work done. <laughs> you know, you got that binder. Yeah, but that was just, like, my favorite interaction. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think she hangs up on him right after that. Yeah. And then, then she calls back and says, like, you're done. And, uh... At that point, um, well, it was the "Do you want the number?" Yeah, was when she hangs up on him. That's right, and he says yes, and then she hangs up on him. Yeah, and then it's fine because Donald finds the number and doesn't get any thanks for it. <laughs> um, this is true. Yeah, um, and then that like the last conversation he has after it sounds like Katrina has told the kids, uh, "Dad's not ever coming home." Um, then. Uh, his uh, younger son calls and tells him about this amazing goal. And then the kid says this horrible, heartbreaking thing. Uh, I've recorded it. He came up with an idea. Yeah. Oh, I've recorded it. And you can come home and watch it. And we'll pretend we don't know the ending. And we'll act just like before. And mom will make the sausages. And it'll be great. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And then I... Do you, at that point, I believe uh, I just called him John again. Eh. Um, Ivan turns the car around, and he he's about to go back. Oh, really? Because he gets at that point, he's getting off on the exit, and there are all those arrows, and it looks like he's going over an overpass and turning around. Oh. You could also read it as he's getting to the hospital, mm-hmm. um, because then he turns around and then he stops. And he's talking to Bethan after she's had a C-section because there was an umbilical cord wrapped around the uh, the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, uh, and honestly, like Ivan's right for for a woman her age, a C-section is probably the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not being very comforting. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, with her, he's doing his best. Um, I don't. I I can't think of a way to be more effective than he was. <laughs> um, but yeah, she uh, she says uh, listen, and then he hears his his kid crying. And then he uh, says, I'll be there. And then he drives on. Um, I took that as he was turning around. Huh. 
And yeah, then... I mean, I I guess I was thinking of sort of it was just getting intense and he pulled over or he was, you know, getting close and yeah. was like the off ramp before getting more on the main road. But I, I but feel that's like, interesting. I'll, I'll have to check that out. I feel like, well, the shot where he's getting off while uh, his kid is talking about the goal and everything, like he gets off on this off ramp and then there's like uh, one of those signs with like eight arrows pointing to the side that are very like, you're going to change direction now. And I read uh. that as a pretty purposeful choice on the part of the director saying, like, he's turning. Like, oh, interesting. He is not. I mean, if I'm the director and I want to say he's he's getting close and he's continuing, um, then I'm going to show, you know, like a sign that says London Hospital five miles, or I'm just going to keep him on the highway. I think that um, if if that's not there to say he's turning around, then it's a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Fair enough. But I think it's good. I, I think it's uh, very effective to say like, no, no, he's finally like feeling the pull and he's broken down and he realizes he can't fix it and he's just got to go back because he just wants to be with his kid. Oh shit, I have another kid. Um, <laughs> I do have to take... Re- I, I think, may- I mean, maybe you could read it as at the end he's taking responsibility for the right reasons because he finally realizes that he is no better than his dad. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he's not screaming at his dad by the end. He's just, okay, I guess this is my life now. And the the screaming at his dad I thought was an interesting inversion of we've gotten a lot of Tom Hardy being sort of outwardly explosive. Yeah. And this was much more him keeping it in reserve. And pretty much the only times that he's explosive is in private. Yeah, yeah. And even then, he's, by Tom Hardy standards, extremely <laughs> reserved. reserved. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only other performance I think he's ever had that's this reserved is Max in Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Um, because Max is very unexpressive in that movie. Yeah, I mean, he's I doing a lot of about. punching and stabbing. He's so, doing a lot of punching and stabbing, but he's he's never like, "I'm gonna kill you." He's just <laughs> that's true. <laughs> like the performance, like the the way he delivers the dialogue and stuff is very close to the vest. Um, but you're right. Like, I mean, at no point does uh, Ivan have to like jump onto a moving car or anything. Um. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it is probably the most reserved um, Tom Hardy performance and uh, the most against type. Um, like, I mean, this this could have just as easily been Killian Murphy or it could have been Steve Buscemi or it could have been uh, any number. Like, pick a character actor. They could have played this role. They would have played it very differently. And I love Tom Hardy's performance. But mm-hmm. like, there's nothing about this that in terms of like the physicality of this character um, cuts anybody else off from playing him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good point. I, I hadn't really thought about alternate casting. Yeah. Um, so this, as far as I know, this was completely original. It just seems like it would make so much sense as yeah. like even written as a book or anything. Yeah. So I sort of, I like the choice. Like it, it allows for a lot of really interesting filmmaking choices. And I hope it's it's an inspirational story. Yeah. Uh, to be able to film something that is compelling and fairly simple. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it helps that it's a killer script. Um, and I guess they shot the whole thing with three cameras, um, and they just ran it three camera setups, pretty continuous. Um, and I don't know, like, I mean, I'm guessing that, uh, like the camera operators were on the flatbed, like strapped in or something, Mm. um, just operating and like catching those shots, like those, those great little shots where it's, uh, where Ivan is out of focus in the foreground and we're focused on, uh, his reflection in his rear view mirror. Um, that's very cool. 
Um, this will probably be like some kind of masterclass someday on just how to properly shoot coverage. Yeah, just absolutely. How to effectively have things to cut to that don't seem, you know, fumbling. Yeah, and while preserving the performance, you know, I, I watched a recent uh, episode of Every Frame of Painting on YouTube where they were talking about, you know, just covering the scene and using blocking instead of cuts um, to like suggest character relationships and stuff. And ev- everybody who's heard me talk about this on this podcast knows that I've got a big old boner for that. <laughs> I like it when the whole ensemble is on screen and they're blocked in such a way that we inform their relationships. Um, and this episode is, does a really good job of explaining that. And there's a great, great quote from Samuel L. Jackson. It uh, cuts, uh, the, the, the quote is over clips from some movie he made with, uh, with Dominic Cooper. Um, and it looks mm. like just a pretty standard thriller with him and Dominic Cooper. And like, he's being interrogated and the walls are blank. And, it shows that like they to film this interrogation scene with uh, Samuel L. Jackson on one side of a table and Dominic Cooper on the other side, there are nine setups in that scene, two guys at a table. And uh, Jackson's like, yeah, so you want to shoot master the wide and then close, closer and closest on me and then over (laughs) my shoulder and then a closer on Dominic over my shoulder. And it adds up to nine setups. And he's like, you've already got everything you need to tell the story. Like you have the performance. And the thing I like about the way this is shot is it lets us cut around the car and keep it interesting because it wouldn't be interesting if it was just one take. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also preserves Tom Hardy's performance. Now, they filmed it a bunch of times and cut it together, obviously, because that's that's how films are made. But um, it must have been much easier for Tom Hardy to not have to stop start this thing. Um, mm-hmm. And to do it in sequence, because there is such a progression to the emotional arc of John Locke and like the moments of like, oh, shit, everything's going to shit. Oh, shit, Donald's fucking up. Oh, shit, I might be able to pull this off. Oh, wait, my wife left me. Yeah. Oh. And while uh, it's true that it's probably much easier to do it sequentially when yeah. this style, this is your style of movie. It's cool that they went this way because it probably still would have been easier to do the first, you know, 10 minutes and then do it five times. Yeah. For continuity purposes and for, you know, his makeup and things like that. Like, it, there's probably an argument to be made that they shouldn't have shot it sequentially to be most cost-effective. So I'm glad they did it that way. Yeah, And yeah. just did it continuously a few times. Yeah, it, it respects the actor's performance. And when you're going to hinge your entire film on one actor, you damn well better respect their performance. Yeah. And also cast him good, because Tom Hardy's a very, very good actor. <laughs> um, has he ever been nominated for an Oscar? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it's kind of only a matter of time. I don't. I don't think Bronson was big enough that got attention. Yeah, that's, that's a shame because Bronson's awesome. Yeah, that's sort of the most attention I've heard directed straight at him. Yeah. Um. Pre Bane. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> I don't think any nominations came out of that movie. No, no, I don't think so. Either. Sound effects editing, maybe. N- oh God, Di- and dialogue mixing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Man, that's such a shame because that, like, I was thinking about that again. And if you guys want to go back and revisit our Dark Knight Rises episode for some more uh, thoughts on it, feel free. But, like, that performance deserves such a better movie because he's really, <laughs> he's really good as Bane. Like, and it feels like Nolan had an interesting idea. Yeah. Like, um, just for the overall character. Like. Yeah. Like, I love the germ of, like, what if, what if someone came along and he just wasn't scared of Batman? Mm. Like,. Oh, for this Batman, that's a great thing to put in front of him. Uh, no, you're just a rich guy in a costume. I can fight <laughs> you. Um, and like Tom Hardy does a lot of really cool things with the performance and so far as much as he can. But the script is just fucking garbage and just doing him no favors the whole time. Um, it's real bad. 
and when you bring out the the Joker in the second movie, yeah. So like, I feel like a, a lot of uh, comic book series and stuff run with the problem of just making your enemy sort of stronger and stronger and stronger. Yeah. Where uh, the the sort of Chris Nolan Batman films, like you had your your psychology based more clever villain pretty much up front. Yeah. So then to be able to jump to a strong guy and to have that be a shocking thing in the third movie when yeah. a guy can block his punches. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and a guy who still like approaches his psychology from an interesting standpoint. Yeah. And Tom Hardy seemed to get that. Because Tom Hardy's a really, really good actor. <laughs> He's also good in uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That um, I haven't seen. Yeah, it uh, it's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is interesting, man. It like implies an entire film. Like, mm. you know, because it's about spies and like spies getting shot and getting caught and like discovering things and stuff. But like, I don't think at any point in the movie, do you see like the shootout or the moment where someone finds the microfilm huh. or anything like that. You like only, a reservoir dogs kind of thing. You only ever see the buildup in the aftermath, like huh. over and over and over. And like people, like it'll go from someone talking about how they need to figure something out to like cutting to like Gary Oldman driving in a car and being like, I figured it out. <laughs> um, and then you have to wait to see what he figured out. And I don't know that it's entirely successful, but it's really interesting. Granted, I only saw it once. Um, mm-hmm. Might might have to revisit that at some point. Um, but uh, yeah, Tom Hardy's real good in it. Um, nice. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's a real real good actor. Yeah, he caught my attention in in Bronson, pretty yeah. much front and center. And uh, I don't remember him being a huge part in Layer Cake, but that was weird. Just I've never seen him. Layer Cake. Ah, he's, that's yeah. a fun movie. Yeah, but this is I think the most showcasey role he's probably ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't be fooled, guys. If you you can watch this on Amazon Prime if you got Prime, and uh, the cover looks like a car chase movie. <laughs> this is not a car chase movie. No, I mean. There's a car and a guy in it, and he's chasing something, but he's kind of chasing a metaphor. Um, <laughs> and it's it's sort of impossible to pin down Tom Hardy's accent. Yeah. And like, yeah, what the fuck is up with his accent in this movie? <laughs> yeah, so between like he's, him... He, I think he's from the North. I think that's what it is. He's from North England. Oh, really? Yeah. So just sort of the character being a little bit different than anything he's played, and he yeah. has a cold, and it's kind of a different accent. Like, it's... Uh, I find it, while he's recognizably Tom Hardy, it didn't distract me because it did feel very different yeah, from yeah. anything I'd seen him in. Yeah, he's never distracting. It's not like it's not like when like Sylvester Stallone gained 50 pounds for Copland or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it doesn't feel stunty. It's just, here's a character this guy's playing. Um, so you mentioned the, um, the turnaround arrows as being like a useful signifier for plot. Yeah. Did you find a lot of that? Like, do you think that it was required that this be a movie? Was there enough contributed to it through the visual style that it it a movie was something that a radio play wouldn't have been? I absolutely would not watch this. Or listen to this as a radio play. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a live action play? No, um, because then you can't cut, mm-hmm. and then then we really are just looking at a guy sitting. You know the <laughs> way the way play, in my opinion at least, the way plays create uh, you know tension and make you like keep stay engaged is through blocking and using blocking to uh, signify and uh, sort of point out character relationships and also just to do action and, you know, move the, move the thing forward. They're a visual medium, and I think uh, a guy not getting out of his seat the whole time would be a mistake. Now, you could stage it in such a way that, like, he could get up and go talk to an empty chair or something, 
Um, or like the, the people on the other side of the phone could show up on the other half of the stage. Mm -hmm. Um, and like a light could shine on them like our town style or something. Like I could come up with a version of this that could work as a play. Um, but I, I think it's a film for first and foremost. And I think there's certain things like I love every time, like his tensions rise, like, uh, cop cars go by. Um, like there's, uh, the first time, that happens is uh, I think when uh, when so- some conversation he's having with Donnell. Oh no, it's um, when Donnell first hears that uh, that Ivan's going to manage the whole thing over the phone, um, and he's like, "What?" <laughs> Sirens go by right at that moment, and it's so well timed. And then it happens again later when we finally find out the reason. Because basically, the, the the deal Ivan makes with Donnell is don't pick up the phone. Um, because Gareth is going to fire me and he's going to try to put a new supervisor on and he's going to make you talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and I, we're going to do this. It's going to be you and me all the way down the line until 5.45 in the morning. We're going to get <laughs> this done. man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and D- Donald agrees to it. And I always kind of, on my first viewing, found that kind of puzzling. Like, what what loyalty does Donald have to this guy? Donald's, uh, or Ivan's wrecking the whole thing. And granted, Ivan sounds like he's been a pretty stand-up dude to everybody up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it only takes one mistake. <laughs> um, so, like, everybody kind of has this, like, we kind of owe you one sort of feel, like, from the Hungarian to Gareth to Donald. Not his wife. Um, but <laughs> Not so much. No. Um, she's pretty over it. And uh, like I said, it sounds like, uh, you know, when, when well, when the, uh, like I said, when the director, I think I mentioned this, when the director director was uh directing her she told him uh, he told her to play it like she kind of wanted him out for a while um mm-hmm. and you know now this is kind of the chance yeah, yeah. um not i mean not that it's without justification but <laughs> camel's back is broken exactly um but later donald goes off on a rant about like look i know garrett's gonna put some kid fresh out of college on this thing and i don't want to have to deal with him so you and i are gonna do it but don't fucking threaten me <laughs> and like at that point we realize like no donald's smarter than we thought and he's not like this buffoon on the other end of the phone he gets that he kind of has ivan by the balls right now and he's gonna do this because he values the building too um but like step the fuck off ivan <laughs> and that's nice because like it's it's really really satisfying anytime someone in this movie puts ivan in his place um because you know he's kind of an egomaniac because he thinks he can do this yeah, and it's it's not necessarily the most meaningful arc, but I do think they do a good job with progressing the stress levels where they're, it is a bit of a bonding experience that they're kind of laughing together by the end. I yeah. think when he says he, he ran so hard that he's sober now. Yeah, he says you, sound, you don't sound together. drunk. Yeah, because, um, yeah, uh, yeah, Donald has a couple of cans of cider, um, yeah. which I'm not going to fault him for. He's in a shitty situation. He's huh? working overnight. Um, but uh, he does, you know, Ivan's running such a tight ship that he's like, you got to stay sober. Like, you can't do that, man. Um, and it's great because it's foreshadowed when he says, don't trust so-and-so after five because so-and-so drinks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Ivan, it's funny. Actually, we could talk a little bit about about this movie's relationship with alcohol because <laughs> it definitely, or Ivan's relationship with alcohol more accurately because we know his dad drank a lot um, and we know he hates his dad. And we also know that the thing that got him in trouble was those two bottles of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also know that he doesn't want Donald drinking and he doesn't trust people who are drinking to be reliable. So like, it seems like there's something there in terms of like what, what, what alcohol is to Ivan as a symbol. That's a good point. I hadn't really yeah. thought about that. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, he, he doesn't like it. And he, he obviously, uh, I mean, he clearly hates himself for what happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's kind of in denial about it. Like it doesn't seem like he's ready to face up to like how bad he fucked up. Um, he just wants to you know engineer the problem away and get on with his life. There were a lot of really good lines and deliveries in this that that really sort of caught my attention. One that I thought symbolized kind of the structure of the whole thing yeah. was I think he's he's talking with Gareth, and maybe it was. Um, in response to the, like, you could have just called in sick or whatever. Yeah. Is he says something like, Hank, I have no response. Yeah. Other than the one that I've offered you. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> like, there's not more to this. Like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I've made my decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, I think my favorite thing he says in the whole thing, like the time when he, when he sounds like genuinely desperate and he's letting some of that show is when he's on the phone with Katrina and says, I would really like to know that I'm not driving in one direction. Mm-hmm. Um, like I want to know I can come home in the morning and we can figure out a practical solution. <laughs> um, like for all that facade, for all that like engineerness about him, like he's terrified. Yeah. Um, and like we, we, everybody gets that. I think everybody's been, in there whether whether you've like fucked up through your own agency like he has or you've been in this situation like you're just scared and you're trying to find a way to control it and sometimes there just isn't because other people like the chips are gonna fall buddy mm-hmm. and i do think he's making a good decision going and being with bethan but like the rest of it i mean i mean it's pretty obvious that he's he's going to to fix up the building because he just wants to control something mm-hmm. i mean he can talk about the con i mean he does talk about the concrete really lovingly and you do get the feeling that it's the only thing he feels really passionate about <laughs> in his whole life including his marriage except maybe his kids um yeah but that's all wrapped up in his daddy issues yeah i was just gonna say with a, a deeper root cause probably <laughs> yeah like his man this guy's psychology is so deep like yeah you can dive so far into him. And like Tom Hardy and Stephen Knight have done such an amazing job of creating a fully realized human being who like, I'm not, I certainly can't call him a hero, but I'm not at all ready to call him a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Um, He did a bad thing, but like, I don't know if I can call him a bad, I mean, do you think Ivan Locke's a bad guy? Um, I think he's better than a lot of people and is like kind of trying. Uh, yeah. He's probably misguided <laughs> yeah. in, in many ways. He, he is trying in his way to do good, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah, I had something. Yeah. What was it? It's okay. I'm going to cut into this thing. I got to cut out the dog barks anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> how's he doing? He's, he's, chewing, in well. he's chewing on his UFO. <laughs> he's all right. I think he knows I'm talking about him. <laughs> so, do you know anything about sort of the the budgets of the process trailer and carting a car around? Like, was this a super cheap thing to make? Um, well, a process trailer. Uh, I mean, you're probably going to have to get permits for it for the highway. I don't know how Britain works, but if we did that here. Um, you wouldn't do closures, but you would have to get permits for the highway. I'm guessing that the other cars are sufficiently out of focus that you're not going to see their licenses or anything identifying. So that that's uh, you can probably get that cleared. I'm not sure what the legality of that is. Um, but yeah, the process trailer, you're looking at a Teamster to drive it. So that's going to be here like uh, 600 a day. Um, and then you're going to need a yeah, I don't, uh, for like the trucks and stuff, you'd also need a gang boss. So your transpo crew is going to be, uh, come out to a couple grand, maybe three grand a day. Um, just ballparking off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got your three cameras. So you're going to have a DP who's going to be, uh, if it's union and okay. I'm also quoting commercial rates here. Cause I don't know, <laughs> I don't know feature rates. Um, so it might be less, um, depending on the budget agreement and everything. I guess I'm wondering versus like guy in a room. 
Like what's oh, there's more expensive kind of the ballpark. This there's, is a lot more. There's more. There's a lot more expensive. Yeah, because you got to have somebody to drive that trail, uh, drive the pro- drive the flatbed. You got to rent the flatbed, which the flatbed rental is only going to be a couple hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not that big of a deal. You got a three camera package. Um, I think this would be more expensive because if I was doing this in a room, then I could just do it handheld with like I'd pre-light the room. Uh, I'd skirt the practicals, meaning putting uh, just like duvetine skirting around the light uh, in the ceiling just to kind of shape it mm-hmm. um, and then have a uh, china ball on a C-stand that I moved around. And that's hella cheap. <laughs> and then I'd have an operator and AC um, and then like a grip and gaff and then hair and makeup and wardrobe which would probably all be the same person um, just to preserve continuity. And then like me and oh, an the AD. Intern. Yes. And then me and an AD and a PA. Like uh, if I did this in a room, I could make this movie for with post and everything getting and getting uh, Tom Hardy. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably 400 grand. Mm-hmm. Probably. I mean, probably less if I did a good deal with Tom. Um <laughs> But uh, points on something that's dirt cheap to make. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do the whole thing in you know four or five days. Um, it would take longer. Uh, it would need a longer shooting schedule because doing it handheld and running and gunning it like that um, would take a little bit more time. You'd also have to uh, do all the phone calls. You'd probably do through a landline and then tap into the landline for sound. Um, do it that way. Sorry, I'm just getting yeah. into the production weeds. Did you and this see is the... all, like, guys, if anybody else listening, I know some of our people work in production, like, don't hold me to any of this. I'm just coming <laughs> up with this stuff off the top of my head. Like, cut me a break, all right? <laughs> um, Have you seen the the Soderbergh, um, like, production trivia list that he just released? No. It's uh, for the Nick season two, the, like, rap stats. Oh, really? And That's they're, cool. They're fun. And it yeah. sounds crazy to work for him. Yeah. I think uh, biggest number of setups in a day was 63. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's insanity to me. The, like, uh, I've heard about that. Like, Super was the same, where it was, like, 60 setups a day. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even imagine that shit, man. <laughs> and... uh I was talking, and Dan's big joke was he assembled this whole list for this one stat, and it was a uh, number of days over 12 hours, zero. Yeah, that's absolutely what he did. Dan, <laughs> Dan, is, Dan, is, Dan Ast is completely correct about that. That's kind of, yeah, swinging my dick around. Like, fuck you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> also, go ask the PAs how many days over 12 hours they had. Yeah. Then, then I'm impressed. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, yeah, 63. I mean, that just means, I mean, we'll see if it's good. Like, Super was good. Oh, yeah, um, I love that movie. Yeah, Super was good, and they did 60 setups a day. But why do you think so much of that movie takes place outside during the day? Uh-huh. Like, you can do that. <laughs> like, they probably didn't take the camera off the guy's shoulder mm-hmm. and just, like, popped off a bunch of shit. And they had really, I mean, also look at the cast uh, for Super. Like, the cast is really, really stellar, so they could get it done in one or two takes. Hey, buddy. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah, the cast was really good, so they could get it done in one or two takes, and uh, they ran through the thing super fast, you know? So, yeah, good job, Soderbergh. I mean, I, I haven't watched The Knicks, so I don't know if it's really amazing or really bad, but I I just, maybe this is my limitations as a filmmaker, but I'm not awesome at more than, like, 20 to 25 setups a day. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm also new and yeah, slow. I mean, like, I think it's, it's he's probably, probably way better at this than uh, fucking I am. A lifetime of workaholism and yeah. wanting to be in film, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, the Nick is great, by the way. Yeah, I'll, I'll watch it. Um, so, yeah, what are, your, what are your final thoughts? My dog's getting a little bit antsy. I think we need to cut this, uh, <laughs> cut this a little short. 
Um, I mean, I definitely think that this fits the bill on something that I felt the urge to watch over and over and that I noticed different things about every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm probably, I don't know that I'm ever going to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I watched it twice. Um, it's better than The Fountain. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I what I would do if I were you, dear listener, if you've never seen Locke, and you probably haven't, um, sorry. Um, I- <laughs> Uh, I wasn't laughing because it was false. Yeah. Um, I mean, we spoiled a lot of it. So, I mean, this could almost count as your first viewing. Um, <laughs> so true. that you, because like, this is a movie that like really fits this podcast because once you've gotten all that out of the way, you can really watch the details. And the details are very well constructed. Yeah. Um, like, Tom Hardy's performance really gives to you the more you watch it. Um, so if you haven't seen it and you want to watch it, watch it one time and then watch it again in like six months. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you need to like put it down for a while and come back, but don't come back too late. Cause you got to remember the movie a little bit. <laughs> um, so yeah, watch it again in six months. I definitely recommend it. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's lock. Um, so to veer away from cars, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been prepping that the whole time over here. Nice. Um, I I actually uh, originally wanted to do another car movie, um, but I think uh, I think I think this is a nice off ramp for us. <laughs> um, I'll just sit back over so, here, so we can uh, we we can park it in another genre. Boom! Oh, uh, wonderful! Yeah. Um, and I was thinking uh, doing something like contained like this would be nice and something, you know, you, you kept mentioning this working as a stage play. Um, so I thought it'd be a good time to revisit uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've been meaning to rewatch that for years. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going back. Awesome. Um, Glengarry Glen Ross is super cool because I, I worked in I worked in sales for a long time. <laughs> and uh, the, the Alec Baldwin scene, like I've watched that probably... I've seen Glengarry Glen Ross once, and I've seen that scene twenty to forty times because <laughs> um, it was just how he got stoked. That that and uh, that and a scene from Boiler Room, which by the way, have you ever seen Boiler Room? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, go ahead and watch Boiler Room. We might watch Boiler Room sometime soon. Okay, um, <laughs> it's it's good. It's also the best Vin Diesel performance I've ever seen. Huh. Like because it's about it's about a, a like a corrupt stock trading floor that trades penny stocks. Um, it's basically like a Wolf of Wall Street style operation. Sure. And Vin Diesel is like the king dick of the trading floor. <laughs> okay. And he's great. Huh. Um, like there's a real good actor in there that doesn't get to come out that often. Um, I've also heard that Find Me Guilty, the movie he made with Sidney Lumet, is supposed to be really good. Huh. Um, I haven't seen that one. I haven't either, but he plays this like mobster who uh, ends up on the stand. It's just a really colorful character, and he's kind of paunchy, and he's got a shitty toupee on. Um, <laughs> and like, I like it when actors play against type. It's one of the reasons I like Locke so much. Um, it's real, real fun to watch actors be actors because most of these guys who got into this industry, they didn't get into it to like. Vin Diesel didn't start out just to be Dominic Toretto over and over and over. You know, I mean, the only reason he keeps doing the Fast movies is because he got that deal to get them to keep financing Riddick pictures over at Universal. Yeah. Um, like, that's what these guys want. They want to play roles. They want to be actors. Or a lot of them. I mean, some of them just got in it to be stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them got in it so that they could inhabit characters and play roles. And I really like watching, like, people that we think of as stars get the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, so, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's different from Groot, but, uh, <laughs> it's still good. Go watch Boiler Room, guys. Um, but yeah, we'll be doing Glenn Gray, Glenn Ross. It'll be fun. Great. Um, uh, yeah. So when we'll see you next time until then, um, you know, just, uh, keep it under the speed limit guys. Thanks.